Niners showed they were real last night. Everybody hated Jimmy Garoppolo. Look at him. I mean, he's playing himself into a playoff position right before our very eyes. G-Swiss here with Dan Nathan in just a few minutes. EY from SoFi. It's Tuesday, Nav 22nd. Uh, Two days until gobble, gobble. I beat you to the punch, you bingo players. This is Market Call. Uh, Listen, today's Market Call is brought to you by the following. CME Group, Dan where risk meets opportunity, backset, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. And SoFi, get your money right all in one app. Hello, Dan. Hi, Guy. Um, I appreciate- right, you're not happy. Up- oh, I can no, tell I appreciate already. the update. Some days you're not happy with me. Today is one of those I days. I appreciate the update about Monday Night Football. I did not catch it. So um, again, thank you for that, Jimmy G. I'm glad you're back um, on the horse. You know what also is back on the horse, the, the stock market, Guy. Sure we we see is. green across the board here a little bit. The S&P 500, the futures here, um, up 28 handles as they like to say on the floor of the cme look at this thing man we've been driving mm-hmm. drawing this line all year long right and and just it's kind of like connect the dots i mean what does carter say the lines draw themselves here a little bit that 200 day moving average is kind of moving down here but we're making a little bit of a a flag right guy you think this thing is setting up here maybe you know holiday shortened week you and i we've talked about this before sometimes you get low volatility or low volume sort of moves here are we setting up for a test of that downtrend and the 200 day moving average? yeah I like what you talked about in terms of flag. What we didn't draw, though, would be sort of the uptrend from the lows in October. And that's obviously a bit of a steeper line. So it stands to reason, I think, that if the steeper line were to break, you know, a test of that October low and subsequently lower is in play. Again, this is a line that we have drawn all year long. I'm surprised that we're hanging in here as well as we are. Obviously, yesterday, I didn't think it was a particularly strong day. Neither did you. And it's interesting that we're sort of getting off the mat today. Again, maybe it has something to do with the fact that, again, holiday shortened week tends to be markets tend to levitate on weeks like this. We'll see how it plays itself out. But it shouldn't be lost on anybody that some of the macro indicators are still negative and still create tremendous headwinds for the broader market. So I'm hard pressed, at least in my opinion, to believe that if, in fact, we do get to the line on the upside, we're going to go breaking through it in a meaningful way. Well, I mean, listen, again, I mean, you know, the next high would be that August high. And I would be very surprised to see us get, uh, you know, above 4,200, even if we were to get through there. I mean, it would really take, you know, uh, again, you know, we're going to get back from the holiday. We're going to have the November jobs data. We're going to have start looking ahead at that Fed meeting. We're going to start thinking about what the inflation readings look like. And that would be the one thing, I guess, is especially when you consider the explosive nature that we saw in the in in the stock market, I guess, after the CPI and the PPI over the last couple of weeks, maybe, maybe, but I just don't think it's going to um, do that in a meaningful way. And to your point about those steep uptrends, I mean, just go look throughout the course of this year as we've been in this downtrend, when you had those intermediate term rallies, as soon as they've broken, they've broken meaningfully lower. And, uh, you know, another chart that we've been focused on a little bit of late, again, we don't trade the VIX and we don't, uh, you know, suspect that it's, you know, that important. I mean, I don't. As somebody who's followed the the options market for a long time. I know a lot of people um, are focused on it, but just look at the levels here. I guess I would just say it's like you get to that uptrend, right? We have a series Mm -hmm. of higher lows over the course of this year. That's a good time to sell stocks. You get to that declining downtrend, right? A series of lower highs, and it's been a good time to to buy stocks at those levels. So thoughts on that when you're thinking about the S&P approaching what might be a key technical resistance level, and here we are with the VIX approaching 
what is a technical support level. Yeah, one of the reasons we thought the market could rally back in the middle of June was because the VIX did trade up to 34 and a half and you saw some crazy intraday swings. And the same thing happened, obviously, in the middle of October-ish when we scanned, we saw a VIX sort of spike and we suggested that that was the market probably exhausting itself to the downside and that created a buying opportunity. But conversely, when the VIX has gotten down to these levels, that's typically a time where you want to sell the broader market. So this is not, VIX trading lower to me is not particularly bullish. I mean, I think it suggests that we're probably getting a little exhausted to the upside in the broader market and the VIX yeah. is probably exhausting itself to the downside. Now, Again, on a week like this, it's typically a week where the VIX is going to give it up. You can speak to that. Uh, being long volatility in a holiday-shortened week typically does not augur particularly well for you. And then we'll see what happens in December. But we'll see. I mean, this chart, yeah. I think, says it all. It's, as the VIX goes well, up, you know, it's, as the VIX goes up, that's typically an opportunity to buy the market. And conversely, when the VIX collapses, it's an opportunity to sell. Yeah, what, what this overlay says to me is that this is where the kind of fun stuff happens, right? When you overlay the one-year VIX versus the S&P 500, so the VIX is basically tracking the volatility of you know the 500 stocks within the S&P 500. When you have this sort of convergence, um, you know, who's that um, of these two? Um, that's when we really are probably at an inflection point or a pivot point. Um, so keep an eye on this one, because to me, um, this one is uh, is probably going to tell the tale. And then going back just to a longer term, you know, Guy, you, you know, you would have been saying for the better part of this year um, for a whole host of reasons, a technical reason you thought we'd kind of, you know, retrace that move back to the pre-pandemic highs in the S&P futures, back to 3,400 here. Um, and we got there. I mean, we, knew, mm -hmm. we got to 3,490 or so. And then as we looked like we were going to be actually in a proper sell-off or bear market, we started putting some numbers to it where we thought S&P earnings should be versus, let's say, a multiple where a market should bottom in a bear market. And that also got you down to like 3,400, 3,200. What is this longer term chart saying to you now? Are you still feeling that level of confidence? Again, you just mentioned the potential for a retest of those October lows. If we go back there. I just don't see us making a double bottom guy. I see us overshooting a bit. No, I mean, if we give it up here, which I think we will, I want to be clear, you know, we talked about a potential move to these levels again back in October. So it's it's playing out sort of the way we thought. I thought the market would exhaust itself long before the beginning of December, but okay, here we are. But what does it say to me? I think you're right. Next time down, we're not going to hold those levels. And if you look, I mean, since basically this time last year, that's pretty clear series of lower lows and lower highs. And until we break that trend, um, I still think that's in play. I know I just saw somebody in the chat said Larry Williams had some interesting uh, bullish commentary on Jim Cramer's show. I missed it. I wouldn't know Larry Williams from Walt Williams. And I guarantee that there might be one person out there who knows who Walt Williams was, uh, but I digress a bit. So I think lower, Dan, and I think that channel that you drew is exactly right. You know, yeah. you go back and look where we topped out right before COVID, that's where long-term support should absolutely be. Well, it's funny. And so maybe Walt Williams um, is getting a little geeked up about the well, fact Well, his that nickname, by the way, was No Neck. His name was Walt No Neck Williams. And the reason why they called him that is because literally the guy didn't look like he had a neck. He was big, you know, bulking dude, played for the Yankees for a season and a half or so. 
Um, we call that a cup of coffee. Anyway, sorry, back to you. Yeah, he, he was in the Bronx for a cup of coffee. Um, one of the things I would just say is like, look at the look at the ten year yield here. Okay, and and we talk about this a, a lot. You know, we broke that uptrend that had been in place from early August. That was a heck of a move. It was from you know two seventy to to what four and a quarter or so. And it looks like the fever is broken a little bit. Mm-hmm. We drew these two horizontal lines, three and a half percent. That seems like a foregone um, conclusion. You get through there and you get that rising two hundred day moving average of three percent. And I've said this on the show i really think that longer term yields have topped out for this cycle i think there's a good chance that the 10 year trades down towards three percent and maybe closes somewhere in and around there being more reflective of you know potential growth or lack thereof in 2023 and you've been saying you know you've been calling for you know when you think about a lot of these 210 inversions that we've talked about over the last let's call it 30 or 40 years some of them have been very brief you were saying that once we invert you thought we were going to go to some of the wider levels of the inversions that you've seen over let's say the last few decades why are you consistently right now if you look at cme fed funds um futures the fed watch here you know it's not like it's getting that dovish guy is that part of it is that the short end is going to just kind of stay bid here while the longer the longer term yields are coming in yeah i think twos have to stay sticky i you know regardless of what you hear people say inflation is absolutely still a problem and even if four and a quarter ish in the two year it's probably still too low i think it's the only reason it's not sort of elevating or levitating is because of the move in the 10 year but i think what's going to continue to happen is in a slower growth environment which we find ourselves in not only here but globally that 10-year yield is going to continue to sort of grind lower. Now, people will interpret that as bullish in the short term. Carter Worth talks about this all the time, but I've said for a while, you know, you could see the inversion to the tune of 75 basis points in the form of 3.5% in the 10-year, 4.25% in the 2-year, and it's playing out. Now, if we were to get down to 3% in the 10-year, I will tell you that that probably suggests an inversion of close to 1%, if not greater. And again, not being an economist, I don't know what it means, but I got to go back and look historically. I can't believe it's going to be all that good. So if you're right, and by the way, I think there's a very good chance that you will be right. That inversion is only going to get worse. All right. So last night, Guy, we were on the Fast Money on CBC. You were not on set. You will be on set set tonight. And sometimes I wonder when you're in your home office and we're all in the studio, whether you're paying attention. Now, I I know that you will say- Cheapest thing you can do. It is the cheapest thing you can do. But we had Julian Emanuel on from the BTIG, and we were talking about, um, you know, he, he thinks that, you know, China will start to kind of like get a plan in place to reopen at some point, March or April or something like that. And, you know, he was talking about how that's going to be this huge tailwind for the global economy. Maybe, maybe not. I asked him, and this is the part I wanted to know if you were paying attention. I asked him if you thought there's a chance that when China reopens and it's going to reopen at some point that maybe the U S and maybe much of Europe is going to be in a recession and maybe they cancel each other out. You know what I mean? And maybe that's also what the 10 year is telling us a little bit. I think that's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. By the time they do reopen, I think it will cancel out what's probably going on here. But again, is it going to be a driver for the broader markets? Maybe the knee jerk will be yes. But where are we going to be at that point? You're talking about March, April of next year. I mean, in today's world, that's light years away. A lot can happen uh, up until then. So what I do think that will happen, though, is potential for that reemergence of the commodity trade. And you know, you've made a great call on crude oil. I mean, crude had a horrific day yesterday. It bounced late. But your call on the underlying commodity has been spot on. And here's the chart. 
we found that support level. What I found interesting, I'm not trying to deviate from our script quickly, though, is the resilience of the underlying equities. I mean, OIH got down, I think, to yeah. 275 or 280 yesterday. I think it's, as we're sitting here right now, 309. Valero, big move up to 140. So the energy stocks continue, I think, to tell a really interesting, different story from the underlying commodity, but that's probably for another time. Yeah. No. I, again, you know, I actually have a EL, uh, XLE, so that's a large integrated. I have that put spread position on to the end of December, and you know, I had it was it was nicely in the money um, yesterday, um, and I didn't even consider taking it, guys. So if it can't break out here again, mm-hmm. I really do think that maybe we kind of make some lower lows from yesterday's lows. But I want to go back real quickly when we're talking about yields, guy. This thing is shaping up to be a really interesting one. And you and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. I think we said that both of us were in agreement that we thought um, uh, the, the TLT was a buy. I'm playing it through the GOVT. Look at this downtrend, mm-hmm. okay, that's been in place, you know, for the last year or so. And you see where that 200-day moving average is up there, you know, at the highs from just a few months ago here. Um, so that's another, you know, 7, 8% or so, which when we're talking about in yield terms or the inverse of that, right? That's That would be a massive move. Look at this, though, on a 10 year basis when you look at this TLT. So this is the iShares 20 um, year treasury bond ETF. Look at where we are, guy, uh, from like a technical standpoint. I mean, this could be a massive, massive inflection point. This is one of the reasons why I just think this is probably one of the best trades on the board. And I also think it's a good one to do with defined risk playing with options because generally implied volatility, the price of options is pretty cheap here though. So that's one I just kind of really wanted to highlight because that 10-year chart guy, and if you look at the steepness um, of that decline here, if you get through, man, that resistance, this thing could be like a coiled spring. January 120 TLTs is my sense. What you're looking at, I can't speak to what the implied vol for that is, but it probably makes a lot of sense. I think the 200-day comes in around 118 or so-ish. So that's probably right. I mean, if you want to do shorter dated, that probably works as well. But that's what I would be looking at. And I think you're 100% right. I think the move lower in yields can surprise people with the speed that it gets there. And if this downtrend breaks, looks like it appears as though it's going to do, I think the move is going to be pretty swift. So you were within, I want to say, a week or so of basically top ticking that trade. In other words, timing being exactly right. And I think this is going to continue to play out. I will say this about the OIH. I think you're exactly right. And I'm not looking to do go back quickly, but I'll say it. If we can't get through sort of that 320 level-ish in the yeah. OIH over the next, call it three or four trading days, I think you're spot on. It will exhaust itself. I, I'm of the belief that we will get through on the upside, but it, it doesn't matter what I think. That's how you have to trade it. All right, let's hit a couple charts before we get to Liz real quickly. Yes, I just think, please. Again, this is really interesting. Look at the U.S. dollar index, the Dixie. Look at where this thing stopped, guy. Look at that breakout level from mm-hmm. you know just a few months ago. This kind of 105 level. That was my trade via the UUP on the downside. I did take that off. We talked about it on market call. But again, you know that wasn't a heck of a bounce off of that support level. So you know what to trade against here if you're looking to kind of reshort this thing. You know what I mean? If you can't get through that rise. 200 day and that green line there near 105, I think you want to kind of be careful versus being long. If you had a bullish view of the dollar, I just don't because I think yields are going lower. Um, you know, I just think that line was pretty interesting. Yeah, it held. Listen, it absolutely held where it needed. It held right at the 200 day. It makes a lot of sense. Again, getting back. Now, what's going to be interesting to see, and I, you know, I again, I'm not a historian, although I took history in college for a couple of days. 
if in fact the dollar continues to now move higher again and yields continue to move lower, what does that look like? You know, what is that suggesting? And yeah. by the way, I don't know if Jacob or Amanda can put this in the comments section, but if you can Google Walt No Neck Williams so people at home can see and put it in the chat. A lot of people are saying Walt Williams from the University of Maryland. Yes. That is a Walt Williams, not the one I was thinking of. Anyway, back to you, Dan. Sorry. All right, no worries. Um, all right, last thing here, um, gold. And again, you oh, know, the line of the resistance. No, but look I at the can't. resistance. I mean, I know it had a really nice bounce, though. And look where it got rejected, yeah. right below its 200-day moving average, which is actually flat. So if you look at this thing here, it's basically trading at the the, the midpoint or it got rejected at the midpoint of the one-year range. Uh, you know, I just bring it up because of what we just said um, about the dollar. And oftentimes we see a, a bit of an inverse relation anything to do in gold right here guy that 200 day moving average is effectively Dikembe mutumbo for you georgetown fans out there doing this right now waving his finger after he swatted that shit into the third yeah. row and that's yeah, what's yeah. happening every time it makes a move to the upside it gets swatted and that's what we're seeing now by the way i'll just mention this and i'm not i'm i don't understand what tinfoil hat means it's, it's dumb but but I don't wear it. Although I did buy Reynolds wrap last night with the holidays approaching, you have to save things in the tinfoil. But the Chinese have been selling U.S. treasuries. Do you know what they've been doing with the proceeds, Dan? Anybody want to make a guess? Anybody? Buying Bueller? gold. Buying gold. gold. Thank you. It's true, by the way. Back to you. So they're, they're, they clearly have they have a plan in their head. Sorry. All right. Fair enough. All right. Let's do this thing. I think it's time, guy. And I think. Oh, you, yes. You love doing it most. So I'm just going to kind of hand, hand over the Without yep. further ado, a word that I can't spell, but is French. Um, EY from SoFi joining us from Parts Unknown, by the way, will be <laughs> on unknown. the, not the IC because the IC is already over. Uh, she'll be on the OC in approximately, <laughs> what, what is that? Two hours and 45 minutes or thereabouts. It's going to be about three hours from now. So, Liz, just to speak in English, if you can't get enough of Liz right now during market call at four o'clock, she it. will be on CNBC <laughs> in the closing bell overtime with our good friend, Scott Wapner guy. That's yeah. how you would I think, say I think it's going to be closer, closer to 430 today, but okay, sometime enough. in and, the four and, to five o'clock hour. And this would be Liz Young from SoFi. I don't know if she got the full introduction. Liz, uh, hold on a second. I'm just telling you right now, and I'm sorry, Dan. I apologize. And for you people playing bingo, I guarantee, because I know this, and you don't have to answer in the affirmative or the negative, but there are friends in your friend group that are now starting to call you EY. I guarantee it. And in my sense people is have there are family it. members that do it now, too. No family members yet. No family members. But people have used it, yes. I'm so. just glad to be here and not be yelled at from Dan on our last episode, which I'm oh, now by the way, referring Dan, to as the stuffing episode. The last for how much time we wasted crazy about nothing. What, wait, no, what, why, we solicited why? she solicited um um directions or recipes for uh -huh. stuffing and we got our oh. email what do they call it when they sort of blow up your email? <laughs> Blowing up your email. Yeah well that happened with stuffing I got recipes. so many recipes. Wait, I'm gonna make two of them. Liz, I'm I wasn't yelling at you on that episode. No, no, I was. I'm, I'm glad that you're not. I thought. Okay, you fair were. enough. All right, let's let's do this thing because you know, like I always find these these um, Thanksgiving week 
really interesting. People are not in front of their fact set machines. They're, they're out and about. They're still kind of trying to position for year end a little bit. Maybe that means taking some losses. Maybe that means kind of kind of marking some gains up higher, that sort of thing. And it usually starts this week. And, you know, the market did not, the stock market in particular, did not have a great feel to me yesterday. What did we see? We saw, you know, meme stocks getting killed. We saw energy in the morning getting killed. Like, like crude oil was down nearly 5% at one point. We saw Tesla down. I think it was one of Tesla's worst days in a mm-hmm. few years, down nearly 6% at one point. I mean, there was a lot of funky stuff going on. And then today, to see the S&Ps up nearly, I don't know, 1% or so, the NASDAQ catching a bid. I'm just give me your thoughts here a little bit on what you're expecting this week in the markets. You heard us talk about the macro. I'm just curious what you're thinking about the stock market here. Well, okay, look, when you have days that are so opposite and they don't make a ton of sense, maybe there's not even a big news event that happens to drive the market one way or another. That doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies about being in the all clear, right? It doesn't make me feel like we've started a new bull market. And here's a point that I will probably make again on overtime. I think people should look at this. You guys talked about the VIX before. And I know you don't follow it that closely, but it seems like we're obsessed right now with trying to call a top on the S&P. Where's the resistance line on the S&P? It's going to get to the 200-day moving average again, and then it's going to fail, right? Let's stop looking at that for a second and look at levels on the VIX and look at things as a floor. So if you look back at this entire year on the VIX, every time it has dipped below 20, it's been right around a market top and it has not stayed there long. You see it spike right back up. We are at, what, 21 right Mm -hmm. now on the VIX, and we've been in this rally now since October 12th, I believe. We're up 11% in that time frame. The pattern is probably going to repeat itself, in my opinion. So let's say the VIX gets slightly below 20. We get close to that 4,100 mark on the S&P. I bet we fail. And the VIX starts to go up again. This is a period of time, this week included, where we probably just sort of get through it. We trudge through the mud a little bit. Nothing big happens. Now, I think it was last year. We had a pretty big down day the day after Thanksgiving. And it was one of those days that didn't make a a huge amount of sense, but it was excessive because there wasn't a lot of trading volume. That's what happens in weeks like this. You can get big swings in the market that are caused by small events. Great. Well, one one event coming up tomorrow is those Fed minutes, and and I'm just wondering again, you know, if we think that um, if you know some of the commentary from the Fed is a bit more hawkish than maybe mm-hmm. people have thought. Guy made a great point, I think, a couple of days ago that the balance in the stock market, you know, gives them even after that really you know slight beat of that CPI reading, it gives the Fed that much more room just to kind of stay hawkish through year end. Think about this. I mean, the S and P 500 is down 16 percent on the year. I mean, that's it, right? And then the Dow is down less than 10%. I just put that in for you, Guy Adami, because again, a lot of people who think about, you know, like whether I'm going to rebalance my portfolio, be a bit less risky, look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It doesn't look that bad when you think about it, right? And we still have unemployment at only 3.7%. The pre-pandemic low was 3.5%, which was a 40-year low. I mean, is there a chance, Liz, that we get out of this whole thing without a really deep recession, without a strong move higher in unemployment, with the stock market not doing what it has done in in some of these past crises. If you go back to 2000 to 2003 and 2007 to 2009, 50%. I mean, at our lows, what were we down? 25% in the S&P 500. Is it just different this time? 
Uh, I, I'm not even going to repeat that phrase because I feel like guy might pass out. But <laughs> look, of course it's possible. It's possible that we avert recession entirely. I think it's becoming less and less likely as we go forward through the end of the year. And if you just look at the yield curve inversion, you guys covered the twos, tens before. Look at the one-year, 10-year. That's inverted 100 basis points. Mm -hmm. So just looking at that as an immediate reaction. The other thing is the 10-year has come down. The 10-year yield has come down and hasn't really rallied back. The two-year yield came down around the same time, around that CPI report, but it rallied back up. And the terminal rate for the Fed stayed the same. It's still 5%. So I don't know how the Fed can really be any more hawkish than they've already been. I happen to think that any interpretation that hasn't been hawkish has been in the eye of the beholder, not actually the people who are making the statements. I think they have been pretty consistently hawkish. However, I would expect a little bit of a downshift in rate hikes in December, down to 50 basis points, which is still large. And I would expect a pause, but staying at a higher level in 2023. I will be quite surprised. I'm not going to use the word shocked yet, but I will be quite surprised if we don't have a recession in 2023. In fact, I think at this point, we probably need to have one. Guy, thoughts on, um, you know, you and I both think we're going to have a retest um, at least of those October lows here. Do you want to play it through the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ? The NASDAQ's still down about 28% of the year. The S&P is up, um, you know, 16 or excuse me, down about 16% or so. And we're going to get to Liz and her Russell 2000, her small caps in a second. But but again, do you start looking at those sorts of numbers and say to yourself, you know, what I mean, where are you going to get your most bang for your buck? Because one of the things that I think is really interesting about Q3 earnings season that we just kind of got through um, over the last month or so is that we're just starting to see these revisions, um, at least the guidance of the companies come down here. And that's not likely to be a one quarter thing. And when I say the companies, I mean, the mega cap companies, right? So I guess my point is, do you want to be focused in an index like the NASDAQ 100, where the top six or seven names make up close to, you know, 35, 40% of the weight, or the S&P 500, which has shown good relative strength, and largely because those same stocks make up, let's say, 25% of the weight. Good relative strength, but it was the NASDAQ that didn't um, make a new low when the S&P did. But, uh, but to answer your question, I think the NASDAQ, because I do think the top-heavy names that comprise so, such a big percentage of that are still too expensive in this environment. You're still talking about stocks that, in terms of valuation, need to get come lower. And I think that's what we're seeing right before our very eyes. The semis have been under pressure. I mean, we're seeing, again, we're not seeing necessarily commensurate um, weakness in Apple, but you're starting to see around the surfaces. Microsoft hasn't traded particularly well. Obviously, Amazon's got its own issues. Facebook is a horse of an entirely different color, but it would be, to me, the NASDAQ. And I think if you're looking for that whoosh to the downside, I think you're going to get more bang for your buck being short yeah. the NDX and the S&P. All right. So, Liz, talk to us about the Russell 2000 small caps. Again, that was one index that did not make a new low when the S&P 500 made a new low last month. Yeah, well, I'm wondering if we can bring up one of the charts I shared for today. There were uh, the that's the one. Thank that's you. That's the one. So, 
<laughs> reading my mind. All right. So what we did here was looked at year-to-date performance, large value and small value, large growth and small growth. Just to show the trend, we all know that large value has done less bad than large growth. Same story holds in small cap. And then what's happened since October 12th. And the reason we chose October 12th is because that's when the rally really picked up steam after a CPI, or I'm sorry, after the most recent low. And we saw this big reversal in momentum. So you saw things like super high volatility stocks catch a bid, low volatility stocks underperform. And that's the opposite basically of the trend that we've seen this year. The reason I want to point this out in the small cap land, and look, love me or hate me for a small cap call, this isn't necessarily a small cap call. What I would look at is the pattern. Generally, if this were a new bull market and it was one that was going to last and had staying power, you would see small cap value be the best performer here, and it is not. If you look on the right, since October 12th, it's still underperforming large cap value. So a time when, if I have to remake this chart after another low, if small cap value is outperforming and it stays that way, that's when I'll start to feel confident that we're done with making lows and we are on our merry way. Small cap usually leads out of recessions. You want to see them come back. It is encouraging, however, that it didn't make a new low. And I think that it just proves that the market is trying to finish this process, trying to finish this downtrend and get out of it. And I think we are closer to the end than the beginning. Yeah, but there's two things that I would just mention is that when you think about if everyone's waiting and you think we're going to be in a recession in 2023 and everyone's waiting for that kind of the, the, the velocity of those rate hikes that we've just had, right? Those 3% and four meetings, you know, to kick in, I got to think that small cap companies are going to be uh, most exposed first to kind of that domestic slowdown, if you will. Um, so that's something I think worth keeping an eye on, which makes me believe that I think we're going to retest those lows again in the stock market. I don't think we end on a whimper like that. If you look at the chart of the Russell 2000 futures, you know, it's interesting though, at its highs just a few trading days ago, it was above its 200-day moving average. I mean, think about how far the S&P and the NASDAQ are from those 200 days. So I do think that um, is kind of interesting. You see the lines. Guy, what does that look like to you? A bit of a hungry alligator? That's definitely the hungry alligator without question, which is pretty seasonal if you think about it. But what's also suggests, you know, as rates continue to sort of move lower, my sense is uh, some of these names are taking their cue from rates going lower. We'll see how that continues to play itself out. But as long as it holds this uptrend, I think it's okay. And really the question is, do we take a look at the highs we saw back in August I don't think so. I think somehow this hungry alligator will wait for it, Dan, be fed. There you go. All right. Well, listen, I, you know, Guy, you know how you like to say we like to get out on the screws? What, I do. We, but before we – oh, you want to yeah. – go ahead. No, sorry, I was just saying we covered a lot today. We laughed. We you, cried. We don't we lived, cover a lot? We giggled a little bit. It was great. <laughs> so the Packers find themselves um, oh, God. before Thanksgiving at four – I think they're four and seven. And I, back of the envelope <sighs> suggests that – in order for them to make the playoffs, they got to run the table. And that would mean they start at 820 this Sunday night against the Eagles of Philadelphia. I don't know. That's not a tough. So I guess my question to you, E, is yeah. can the Packers run the table here with an Aaron Rodgers who doesn't seem to be completely into it? Thoughts? Okay, I'm not going to make comments about whether or not he's into it. I hope that as a professional football player who is paid to be on the field, he's into it, so to well, speak. You would hope. However, 
Uh, Body language it, suggests it otherwise, pains, by the way. It pains me to say this because I will remain a Packer fan for as long as I live, but I don't think we're going to do it this year. I think this is this is a wash. This is a year that we're just going to throw away. I said this before. I think it's time to give Jordan Love some reps. Let's just get him in there, get him going, You know, give him some time. Experience is important. Wow. Because I will tell you that will not go over well in the Rogers camp. I mean, he is not going <laughs> to, I don't be, think he's watching, <laughs> he, you know, something I wouldn't be so sure. I mean, he goes to that, he goes on that crazy Pat McAfee's podcast and he's probably smoking some weed and watching us right now. AR, if you are man, good luck on Sunday night. I just don't see it happening against a stout Eagles defense that added Dan, by the way, in Dominican Sue, big Sue a yeah, week and a half or so ago. Just saying. He's we once had a podcast. What did we, 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 uh, we Donegan came on our podcast on the tape. And I think we named, didn't we name and, and, and like, let's see if Liz can get this, what this was a plan. We named the podcast. I think an investor named Sue, didn't we like, isn't that what we, we named the podcast house of, I, I called it house of arrows or something like that, which no, I didn't no, realize no. you tried. That was like, that was like, he's like, yeah, I got that guy. This was a play on the Johnny cash song, a boy named Sue. Do you remember that? Uh. An investor named there. Sue. I like uh-huh. the man in black. Uh-huh. Clever. By Clever. the way, I went to the when we were in Nashville in April. I think it was April. We went to yeah. the Johnny Cash Museum. I got to tell you something. You should, if you want to watch something, if you go to Blockbuster this weekend, probably going to be crowded for Thanksgiving. <laughs> but rent rent that Joaquin Phoenix movie with Johnny Cash. I mean, it's so good. Reese Witherspoon killed it. But Joaquin yeah. Phoenix did all his own singing. I mean, he just was amazing. I think he's one of the most underrated actors of our lifetime. You didn't have that on your freaking bingo cards, you bunch of Johnsons. But that's it for today. <laughs> I want to thank EY from SoFi for joining us on this Tuesday. day. I want to thank the CME Group. I want to thank FactSet and SoFi for sponsoring this episode. Back tomorrow. I know this is crazy. 11.30 a.m., CBW, Carter Braxton Worth. And then it's, you know what it is? It's not only hump day, but it's the day before gobble, gobble. And if you turkey say to day. me, how was your turkey day on Friday? It's it's over. It's over. That's it. Dan? Uh, yeah, listen, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for Liz being on the market call. I'm thankful for our fine sponsors. So, Liz, if we don't see you before Thanksgiving, have a great one. You guys, too. I am so thankful for you and for all the viewers and for all your stuffing recipes. I'll let you know how it goes. Tune into the OC, 4.30 Eastern time. Don't miss that shit. Later. (laughs) 